Over the last few months, the coronavirus pandemic has thrown the world into a prolonged state of uncertainty. As confirmed cases mount up around the globe, the huge disparities in our communities have become more glaringly obvious. In the United States, stay-at-home and shelter-in-place orders have directly led to loss of income, loss of food security, and general instability for millions of families. What initially seemed like a short blip in time, a momentary pause on our day-to-day lives will undoubtedly have long-term impacts. We don't know when things will return to normal or what our new normal will even look like, but we do know that the instability of this pandemic is not being shared equally among all Minnesotans. We do know that some people will need more help than others to weather the disparities and hardships that have been exacerbated by this crisis. I talked with a few folks who live in and around Phillips about work they are doing to care for their neighbors and move towards everyone having their needs met. Ruby Levine is a resident of Phillips who saw the way the coronavirus pandemic was impacting other areas of the United States. She anticipated that Minnesota would soon be under a stay-at-home order. Even before the city or state publicly announced the steps they were taking to minimize the negative impact on families, whether or not local and federal government would adequately provide a safety net for our well-being, our people could show up for each other. So what is mutual aid? Mutual aid, broadly, is supporting other people and being supported in return. Mutual aid is a term that's been used by a lot of different people in a lot of contexts and settings. I personally learned about mutual aid from disability justice activists. So disabled people are often pushed to the margins of social support and can't survive by working either because work is made to be out of reach or because of the realities of physical, mental, and emotional impairment and often aren't receiving enough from the government to literally stay alive. On this spreadsheet, neighbors can both ask for assistance and indicate how they're able to help others. The first tab or page is a spreadsheet that kind of explains what the document is about and has a link to a template and links to other neighborhoods' versions of this document. And then there's four other tabs, which are asks, which is people saying what they need, offers, which is people saying what they can give, food, which is a tab someone else started that specifically is about accessing food from like publicly serving organizations, and then a tab for ideas that's like brainstorming and resources. I asked Ruby what are some ways people are getting their needs met through the mutual aid document. She said that because people remove their requests for help when they've been fulfilled, it's not an ideal document for tracking. But there are some success stories like these. I have chronic back pain and I thought it would be helpful for me to have a cane or a walking stick in my house because my back gets worse when I can't move. So I put that ask up and I got a response in about a day from a neighbor who I didn't know named Harry who ended up dropping off a very cool Gandalf Gandalf style walking stick um, just outside my door. It's like six feet tall and it has this awesome twist in it. It's really cool. And then I talked to my friend Liz, who was contacted by someone about her offer of helping with house cleaning. And so Liz has actually gone over to this person's house twice, um, who struggles with some ongoing health issues where she needs to have like a totally clean house, no dust, but she can't use harsh cleaning chemicals and she's not able to like bend over to the floor herself. So Liz said that she felt like this was also someone who maybe was in need of some human connections, one who's kind of isolated. 
it feels a little complicated for my friend because she is going over there and helping this person who really needs help and isn't able to hire a cleaning service anymore. But she's like not going over to her own friend's houses to hang out. So it's kind of like, is this the right thing to do still? But that person still has that need and didn't have another way to get it met. The Minneapolis mutual aid spreadsheet has grown and evolved in ways Ruby didn't anticipate when she first posted it over a month ago. Not only has it grown to include more Minneapolis neighborhoods, but people are adapting it for other uses. Ruby talks of a friend who got some really cool surprise gifts for their child and was inspired to take more action. They made a version of the spreadsheet for their kids' school, um, which has been a really great place for parents to share educational resources and ideas for what to do with a four-year-old who's stuck at home now. Just people making this private version of it for a smaller community. If you want to check out this Minneapolis mutual aid document, either to ask for help, offer help, or get ideas for how to create mutual aid in your own circles, go to tinyurl.com smpls covid19. Mutual aid sheets, forms, and networks have been popping up all over the country in response to COVID-19 because communities who've been historically marginalized, underserved by government programs, or intentionally left out by discriminatory policies have so often needed to support and care for each other. For instance, undocumented workers have been completely ignored by the federal response to COVID-19. But after hundreds of calls to City Hall and continued advocacy from immigration activists, Mayor Jacob Fry committed $5 million in local aid to undocumented immigrants. Black communities are also leaning hard on elected officials to move swiftly in this moment. The Black Minnesota COVID-19 response is a coalition of Black organizers and organizations across the state of Minnesota. The coalition's demands and policy recommendations represent a Black-led, Black-centered approach to addressing the harmful impacts of the pandemic on Black communities. I asked Aaron Sharkey, a Minneapolis-based artist and organizer, why it was important to formulate a Black-specific response to the coronavirus crisis. Partly, it's because we are motivated to think about ourselves and our community. And we know that when you focus on Black folks in Minnesota, that all Minnesotans benefit. Minnesota's really been plagued by racial disparities. You really can see it in the numbers when it has to do with unemployment rates, and this is before COVID, and people who are living in poverty, people who yeah, are struggling to own homes because the banks disproportionately deny mortgage applications for Black people in Minnesota. We know that Black folks are more likely to be arrested on drug charges in Minnesota, despite the fact that drug use is the same in, in different communities. And so we know that Minnesota does not do a, a great job at, at equity for Black folks here. When comparing outcomes for white and Black residents, Minnesota rates among the worst states in the nation for racial gaps in the poverty rate, income, home ownership, unemployment, as well as closing the racial gap in high school and college graduation. We knew that a response um, coming from our community would benefit our community and the rest of Minnesotans. Black Minnesota COVID has three main policy demands. Number one, 
freeze living costs to ensure housing for all during this pandemic. Freeze rent and mortgages for 90 days, enact a moratorium on evictions and utility shutoffs to freeze credit card payments to ensure that all Minnesotans have, ac- Minnesotans have access to housing, um, to make public transportation available at no cost, and to refund room and board and meal plans to college students in Minnesota. Number two, expand health care access to all who need it and to ensure that workers have paid and save time and paid medical leave for family care, to ensure that public and private insurers cover the costs of mental health services, and to classify particular workers. Uh, we really we know that Black Minnesotans represent a large portion of those frontline workers, folks who work in hospitals, folks who are doing cleaning and sanitation work, farm work, people who drive trucks and work in factories, people who work in food service. So um, we really wanted to make sure that those folks are are covered both in their employment needs, but also in their healthcare needs. We also wanted to make sure that they're tracking race in terms of the data that comes out of COVID because we know that, or we've learned, we're learning across the country that Black folks are getting hit really hard by COVID, really gravely and um, with bad consequences. So we wanted to make sure that in Minnesota, they're tracking that information. And, and then we also asked for the creation of an emotional support hotline that includes culturally competent care that's open to all Minnesotans. Number three, humanize Minnesota's incarcerated population and decarcerate And Minnesota has disproportionate number of folks incarcerated um, that are Black and also Indigenous and Native to Minnesota. So we wanted to demand that they uh, reduce the um, exposure and to suspend technical probation violations, which hangs up a lot of folks. Systemic and structural racism have created the conditions that make Black folks in other marginalized communities so much more vulnerable to the hardships created by COVID and the efforts to contain its spread. We need to really be thoughtful about not just this period of time that we're in where we're all sheltering in place and everyone is feeling this really acutely. We need to think about the ways in which there will be fallout and ramifications that come after. To learn more about Black Minnesota COVID-19 response, visit www.blackmncovidresponse.com. For a lot of vulnerable and marginalized people, community gathering spaces have played a vital role in surviving difficult times and circumstances. Wait House, a program of Pillsbury United Communities located in the Phillips Community Center, has certainly been that space for many Phillips residents, approximately 80% of whom are indigenous or people of color. Weight House offers some really exceptional food programming from urban agriculture and growing food to culinary arts training to daily hot meals and a food shelf as well. In addition to that, we have youth programming, we have employment services, and we have KRSM radio. People have come to rely not only on the services and programs that Weight House offers, but also the chance to fellowship with and get to know their neighbors. Wade House has been an especially important place for senior residents and folks with different levels of mobility to experience connection and vitality. But during this pandemic, one of the best ways to take care of the people in our communities and ensure their health is to be physically distant. Of course, community is formed in more ways than being in the same physical space. The internet has often felt like a great equalizer in that respect. But digital community is not desired or accessible to everyone. 
This was demonstrated by the number of people who weren't aware that they could no longer gather at the Wade House. Julie Graves is the director of Youth Impact and Wade House's director. She reflects on those first days after Governor Walz's stay-at-home order was issued. A lot of folks that come there are very socially isolated, a lot of seniors from the community, uh, folks of all, all abilities, uh, folks of all backgrounds, really representing Phillips. And so that was a really tough shift. I was there on the first day when folks started coming in to get to-go meals, and a lot of folks didn't even know that we, you know, we could no longer gather and serve the meal in the dining room. So we started giving out the to-go meals. And I think that element of fellowship uh, and just being with one another to share a meal daily was was a big stretch for a lot of people. I think was a big challenge. It's really changed that dynamic of what building community looks like. But those same staff are the ones that are there handing out those meals and greeting everybody like they would normally be greeted to create some sort of semblance of, you know, this is still community. We're still here for each other. Wait House staff also got a big assist from volunteers. I mean, we know the power of community and it's, those are those individuals that are, are willing to, to go above and beyond, put themselves in harm's way donate time, donate resources. So, you know, we had people sewing up face masks, donating bags. Despite the generosity with which people still want to show up and help, social distancing guidelines mandate that Wait House have more restrictions on volunteerism. Wait House also had to quickly innovate its many programs for young people in the neighborhood. It cannot be overstated what a disorienting time this is for our youth. In a very short period of time, they went from being in a learning community with their friends who they got to see almost every day, to trying to figure out distance learning. Some of those children are acting as surrogate parents to younger siblings for even more hours each day, and now they face another loss. The after-school programming where they learned new skills, in some instances earned money, and are encouraged to develop as leaders. How has Wait House been able to maintain these very important relationships? As you can imagine, being a youth worker, you are a trusted mentor and support for young people already. So this is a time when young people might need you the most. DJ Michelle B runs all the, the youth media uh, element for KRSM and started creating digital storytelling platforms right away for young people to be able to share their stories um, during covid Yvonne, who's our youth specialist as well, worked with our um, urban agriculture team so that we actually did seed delivery to households so that the youth could be paid in internships to, to grow food. Um, and uh, they're doing weekly Zoom calls just for support and peer mentorship. Um, Yvonne's even been leading some like physical <laughs> workout groups. Many projections about the coronavirus pandemic predict that if we want to contain the spread of the virus, we will not entirely drop social distancing protocols for at least a year. Every aspect of our individual and family lives will be touched by this crisis. I asked Julie how Wait House was planning to shift this programming and service model in response to the coronavirus pandemic. I think it's really about being really flexible and nimble and knowing from week to week what the young people want to do is going to be different. And that's that element of youth voice. What do they want to do with us, with their time in that space? You know, so we'll see how some of these seedlings go that they're growing and if that becomes something that they're really excited about. How do we, you know, deploy more seeds to their households if they're wanting to do bigger, more radio projects, engaging the community somehow? How do we get the equipment that they need? So I think it's really just a, like honestly a little bit like day day to day, week to week, but it's that it's that relationship that's that foundation for everything. So we have that ability to do that and be nimble for their needs and what they want to do. To learn more about Wait House, visit www.pillsburyunited.com.
org slash site slash Waithouse. That's www.pillsburyunited.org slash S-I-T-E slash W-A-I-T-E hyphen house. This is Arna Landrum. Thanks to a partnership between Phillips Neighborhood Network and KRSM Radio 98.9 FM, I'll be back every month in 2020 to bring you news and information about South Minneapolis and the Phillips communities. How have you been finding joy in these strange times? What's a new recipe you're trying? What other resources would you like people to know about? Call KRSM at 612-208-3808 and leave us a message. Later, you might hear yourself on the radio. This is Arna. Stay healthy, Southside. Side.